welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. This is episode 186, and we're going to talk about packing in light and hauling out heavy. So very specifically, how do you load your pack for multi-day trips? Where do you get gear organized and situated? What are some things to do? What are some things not to do? That's the first half of this, is preparing packing gear for your first part of your hunt. But then when you get that animal down, in the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk about hauling heavy. So How do you load heavy loads of meat? What are, again, certain things that you should do, should not do? Steve and I cover this topic, kind of a good overview, hopefully for you in the coming weeks as you pack in for a a hunt and then get to pack something out heavy. That's the plan, so we want to help you do that more effectively, and that's what we talk about in this episode. Before we dive into that, I want to give a shout out to Scott Barnes for sharing us some feedback and actually a question for an upcoming Monday Minute. So Scott, thank you. We're going to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry podcast swag. Listeners, if you want to enter into these little giveaways, it's simple. Just we want your feedback. So whether that's a review in iTunes or the other places you could be listening to this, or just an email to us directly, podcast at exomountaingear.com, with some questions or suggestions, that'd be super helpful, and we'll just enter you into these giveaways. And speaking of giveaways, as you guys have probably heard, we're doing a giveaway every month in 2019. And this month, right now, August of 2019, we have an awesome uh, Benchmade knife. And it's actually custom with the Exo Mountain Gear logo. There's a few of these made. Only actually Exo staff has them. So it'll be kind of the first chance to get one out there to you guys. But it's a Benchmade bug out inscribed with Exo Mountain Gear logo. Super slick setup. A couple ounce knife. S30V steel. They're super sharp. We really like them. And now you have a chance to win one. So just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Look for the giveaway link and you'll be entered for that. All right. Let's dive into this one. Let's talk about how to pack in light and how to haul out heavy. So, Steve, I guess as a, as a hunt begins, like at a super high level, um, we've talked a bunch about gear and what goes in our packs. We have a whole series called What's in My Pack um, that both you and I have done videos on as well as a bunch of guys. But we haven't, I don't I don't know, we've talked too much about how stuff goes in our packs. I think we've mentioned things here and there about, you know, we don't use compression sacks versus other people that do and yada, yada, yada. So there's tips that we've discussed, but I don't know that we've kind of gone strategically through. It's the beginning of a trip, like let's say a multi-day hunt. How do you actually fill your pack? So um, let's start with that first one that we have mentioned just to revisit it. Why don't you use compression sacks? Um, yeah, I know I briefly covered it in a, a podcast at some point, but I remember using the analogy of, um, essentially, would you rather pack like five, six bowling balls in your backpack or a bunch of, you know, for equal weight, probably golf balls, right? Like those golf balls are going to be a lot more malleable 
uh, fill up every single void inside of the pack where the bowling balls, you know, there's going to be all these gaps in between everything. And that's kind of what you're getting with, you know, if you're going to compress all your gear down into four or five small little bags, uh, especially like compression sacks where they've got straps on them. And, I, you know, I see guys use them all the time. Uh, and they, you know, essentially turn their sleeping bag and their tent and everything else into a bowling ball. It's just not going to pack as nice and neat. I mean, there is the added advantage of uh, the extra protection that those provide. Usually those are going to have some kind of water-resistant aspect to them. But in general, uh, the pack's going to just carry a lot nicer when you uh, have kind of more loose items in there that, that you're basically just filling the pack up with instead of, um, you know, just trying to fit those bowling balls in there. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, it, it's just one of those things. I see it a lot. Guys use them a lot. I think simply because some of the newer guys think they have to. Like compression sacks are pretty standard or popular, oh, and it's like, oh sure. yeah, I have to put my sleeping yeah. bag in a compression. Yeah, sack. everything's everything you're given your your sleeping bag, your tent, your pad, everything comes with a compression sack. That's um, just uh, how companies do it. So it's definitely different not to use those for sure. Yeah, and it's not to say that there's not any use for any size. Like, I I tend to take a very small one. I think it's a C to Summit extra small. Um, and it's basically my electronics pouch. And that, again, is A, to provide organization because they're small items like cables or things like that. Um, but B, knowing it houses all electronics, say extra camera batteries as well, for example, it's just, it's waterproof. So there, there's times that I use them, but yeah, for the big ticket items like you, I used to quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't anymore just after experimenting. So no right and wrong, but again, the default is everybody gives you one, you have to use it. Maybe rethink that, maybe play with it. Yeah. And I think the, I was gonna say the high level, um, kind of way to look at this too, is that, doesn't it's it's very critical how your pack is packed from weight distribution to how things are riding inside of it uh and that's kind of probably the basis for all this is even with 20 pounds in the pack you can make it ride differently one way or the other by taking that extra few seconds and and packing it properly um so that's probably the the whole kind of premise behind all this is just making sure that your pack is loaded properly so that it's going to carry as best as it can yeah for sure that's where i want to go first is high level um i mean we could ask the question of what's the best way to pack your pack and what's the best way to distribute weight which would get us into where we want to go anyway which is really just how do you pack it so from a very high level steve you begin a multi-day trip I guess let's just talk what's going in first before we even get to that just a high level question do you pack the main bag first or do you add anything in side pockets or stretch pockets or those kind of external pockets first um absolutely the main bag first i want to kind of fill that up and then from there then i'll put you know basically go around the pack so when i'm you know let's say i'm in the middle of the hunt i wake up in the morning uh, we're tearing down camp it's kind of standard protocol for us tear down camp uh, and then start hunting so I'll, i'll kind of have all my gear laid out around me you know, usually the night before I just sleep under a tarp. So I'll throw basically anything, everything goes inside the pack and I just throw it in there, um, zip the pack up and go to sleep. So I wake up, I'm going to unzip the pack, pull out the items, you know, like my, my bino, my hat, my wind checker, everything's just going to be kind of thrown in there. Um, those random things I'm thinking of that, you know, I, I know I'd be pulling out there in the morning cause I obviously didn't need them at night. Um, 
And then teddy so the bear. very first, yeah, teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, the very first thing that's probably going to go in the pack is my sleeping bag. Uh, water, actually water bladder first. I'd, w- I'd want the water bladder in there. Um, and then from there, it's going to be my sleeping pad and then my tent. And then uh, my tent, um, tent or uh, sleeping bag and pattern are the very bottom of the pack. Uh, my tent is going to go basically, um, this doesn't apply as much on a new 4800, but it's traditionally we have the side zipper access, right? So if I to put my tent on the far bottom side of the, the pack. Um, so I'm basically pushing it all the way across. And then the ne- very next thing that would go would be, um, depending on the, the hunt, it's either going to be some extra clothes or my stove. Um, in my stove, I would want to put right inside the side zipper for, for access. And on a new 4800 with the horseshoe zipper, I'd probably just put it right there in the middle, maybe even towards the top. And, and the goal there is just the stove is, of all the things going inside the bag, the stove's the one thing that I'm pretty much guaranteed to take out at some point during the day uh, to make coffee or heat up some top ramen or whatever it is. Um, and then, then I'm looking at extra clothes and extra food, and I just kind of stage those around. I'll, I'll want the the my extra food to be about middle to middle to upper third of the pack. Um, you know, just cause that food's going to be fairly dense, fairly heavy. And then I'll, and then I just go back with clothes and I'll throw those in any gaps that are still left over. Right. So usually down by the stove, I'll probably have throw a pair of socks or something like that. Just to kind of keep it from rattling around. And then, you know, any extra jackets or extra shirt, there's really typically not a whole lot of extra stuff going on there. Um, you know, unless they said November a hunt is a little different than a, you know, late August time, as far as the stuff you're packing, you're going to have a little bit more with you, but just kind of layer that stuff around there. Um, and that's kind of be it. There's not a lot in the main bag. Once you start breaking it down. Um, and then can I stop you real quick before you get into the other stuff? Yeah. Yep. So sleeping pad, um, just to geek out on stuff. Cause guys might be wondering, not using compression sack. Do you fold that? Do you roll that? What do you do there for a sleeping pad as you're packing it loose? Um, I've always rolled it. Yeah, I've always rolled it. It's a uh, sleeping pad's one. That's a sticking point for me because like, it's um, thank goodness for the newer styles like my Sea Summit that has the quick dump valve. It's so nice that you can just pop that open and all the air's out of it in a few seconds. With my old Thermarest Neo Air, you know, getting the air out of your pad was like a five minute ordeal it felt like where you're sitting there just squeezing it roll it up a little bit more squeeze it roll it up squeeze it um and it just depends on you know that the pad if you want to take that extra time you can really get that thing small uh any model even my seat of summit comfort one that's a big heavy pad i can get that thing pretty small if i you know rolled everything up nice and tight and and um, really took my time with it. In general, in the mornings, it's just about how fast we can get this freaking tore down and, and get to hunting. So I just fold it in half and then just roll it up as quickly as I can and throw it in there. Um, I could definitely understand an argument for sliding that. I mean, that's kind of turning into a hard object anyways for sliding that inside of a stuff sack. Uh, I never have slides and sliding in there for protection. You, you wouldn't want something to pop it, but 
Um, I still don't use a stuff sack for that. Sometimes I'll pack a rubber band and wrap it around it just to keep it from unraveling inside the pack. But usually I'll tuck it down there. Kind of hard to imagine, but um, I'll put it in between the back panel of the bag and my sleeping bag. So I kind of, once my sleeping bag's in there, I kind of roll the pad up and then push it down into there. So it kind of holds it into place. And that way it's just got fabric on one side, sleeping bag on the other side, and really nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, I used yeah. to quite a bit because I, I hated rolling it and trying to get it tiny and just wanted to go quick. Mm. I would fold it like in half um, or sometimes mm-hmm. not. Like if I was using a 20 inch pad, it really didn't matter. I would take a 20 inch pad, keep it at that 20 inch width and just start folding it over and make it 12, 14 inches wide or what have you and just put it in the back panel of the pack. Um mm. And so it basically lines the back of the pack, if you will, and then just start putting in my sleeping bag and that over there. I still do that occasionally. It kind of depends what's going on in the main bag, simply because what you were talking about with exposure and protection. Um, but if I do roll it, one slick thing I like from my catabatic quilt is the attachment cords that it uses um, have a little quick draw system on it. And A, to make sure I don't lose those, and B, help with retainment of the sleeping pad. If I roll that... I put those catabatic uh, quilt cords around it and then a little quick draw and then it holds it super nice and tight. Um, so yeah, it's pretty slick the way that that goes, but yeah, sounds like it. Um, yeah, we geeked out on sleeping pads there for a minute. I forgot we were going high level. I had another question. Um, oh, food. You mentioned that putting, putting that at the top for weight distribution, which makes a ton of sense. That's a, an important thing to keep in mind. Um, the other thing that I personally like about that is food being a, like a harder, less malleable, less form taking, uh, object. I tend to have like a food bag per day. Sometimes it's a quart bag. Sometimes it's a gallon bag, but I've found if you get that in almost last in the main bag, you can like you think your pack is full and then you find all these little pockets where it's like, Oh, I can put a whole day's worth of food. Cause I just keep pushing in my sleeping bag. What we were talking about earlier, my sleeping bag can form shape and it looked like the pack was full, but I just fit a big old bag of food in there. So I think that that getting that in there last is important, not for weight distribution, but I've found that it's just one of those items that disappears and voids that you didn't know were there essentially. Yeah, I think in one thing on the food, like I've hunted with somebody, I think it was one of the born and raised guys last year when you were out here, that just had, they threw all of their food, they had it broken up into days, but then they threw all of it in one big bag, and then they pulled that whole thing out of the pack, and to me, that's a really bad idea. Like, you're going to want, if you can, (laughs) it's funny, the pilot on our caribou hunt that we were doing this year, they specifically emailed us like a couple weeks ago and requested that we use soft dry bags and a bunch of smaller ones. They don't want you to have hard objects and they don't want you to have really big bags because they're mm-hmm. trying to fill and balance the weight of the plane and, you know, put a five pound bag here, a 10 pound bag there, fit one behind the seat, fit one under the seat. Um, same thing with the backpack. Like I want smaller, more malleable objects that I can throw anywhere. So food is a great one. Yeah. Break it up by day and then just have all those days. And I don't, I don't uh, try to lump my mountain house in there with it or whatever your dehydrated meal is. Um, so I'll have those separate. And I just have a, a Ziploc baggie of, of my, uh, you know, 2,500 calories for the day. However, I decide to, to uh, get to that point with, you know, bars and random crap I eat. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely, you know, the more small items you have or even 
I've seen guys that are like jacked that they put all of their entire sleep system inside of one bag and roll it up inside the pack. And while that's great, they said the these if you can break it into a pad, bag, and tent, three separate parts, uh, you're going to be able to load that pack more efficiently. The plane analogy is perfect. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about, right? Load distribution, yeah. making the most of space. That's that's good. You mentioned a few times in there on the zipper. Are you do you top load at all, or you pretty much go through that zip access? The only, yes, I do. Um, I'll do 90% of the load from the side or the, the gear going in from the side. And then at the very end, um, usually I'll throw uh, like the my, there's going to be some leftover clothes that I'll throw up on top, on top of all the food that's usually in the top of the bag um, just to kind of, you know act as like packing bubbles, right? Just to mm-hmm. kind of fill some gaps and keep some things from rattling around. Keep you got I've basically got all these Ziploc bags up there, you know, if it's a five day hunt, you're gonna have four bags there because I've I've got one bag in my lid already. Um so yeah, just to kind of to keep things quiet and from shifting around. Okay. Perfect. Um you mentioned keeping the stove close to the zipper. Anything else come to mind that you kind of keep as quick access? Like even thinking of and maybe we're jumping ahead here with external pockets, but clothing you might access through the day. Is that something you keep main bag close to the zipper or try to keep external in a stretch pocket? Yeah, there's not going to be, because if you think about first thing in the morning, that's most likely going to be your coldest point. So as I'm loading the pack, I've already probably got my puffy jacket on. Yeah. Um, so if, if anything, it would be taking that off. And my puffy's pretty much always going to go in the external stretch pocket. Uh, of the front on the front of the bag and then as a day goes and i start shedding uh base layers you know maybe i had long johns on that morning those are then i'll take the time to stuff those in the pack um, and i would probably well it just depends on how full the pack is whether i use go from the top or from the side zipper so you'd go side zipper if you can um but if it's super full in there then go top yeah yep. yeah if it's early in the hunt and the pack's pretty full then you can you can always just grow the pack vertically, vertically and throw it up on top and then cinch it back down. Okay. Um, yeah, man, I think that covers the main bag pretty well. You mentioned having a day's worth of food in the lid. What else What else goes in a lid for you? Uh, the one thing I was thinking about is like um, inside the water bladder sleeve, I'm also going to have all my game bags and rope and stuff like that. But that's something that would have just been inside that sleeve the whole time. I would never would have taken yeah. it out. Never touch um, it until an animal's to hit that point. Yeah. Um, inside the lid is, is... I'll cut you off again, Steve, now that, yeah. now that we brought up the, <laughs> the hydration pouch. It is worth noting, like especially on the new line, how beneficial that is for the exact scenario you described of packing up in the morning during a hunt. Because um, yeah. if your tarp is wet, I mean, that's a place where you can use that dry storage pocket now and just dump that back there. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that feature. It's uh, It was... Um, quasi accidental we designed it as the water bladder sleeve and then i just was looking at it one day playing with it loading gear in there i was like man if we make this a little bit bigger there's there's no downside and the upside is you could fit extra stuff in here and have it be soaking wet and it's going to stay separate from your sleeping bag and all your other dry stuff inside the main bag so yeah that um you know condensation that's one thing i love about uh the style of tarp that i use is condensation is very very minimal but it's definitely something that's annoying and if you've got a fully enclosed double wall tent you're gonna deal with a lot and uh, yeah if you got one where the fly comes off really easy and you can just slam that down in there and then 
later in the day, pull it out and uh, lay it out in the sun, let it get dry. You know, it's um, it's a good, great way to do it. All right, back to the lid. Got a day's worth of food, meaning the stuff you're accessing, the snacks through the day, your ramen, your bars, your whatever. What else is in there? Typically, you know, my cell phone, my inReach, those are going to kind of rotate around, whether it's like in my pocket or in the lid, depending on the day, the situation, the time. Um, I'll have a knife in there for, you know, if I'm, if I got some salami or something that I'm cutting up, um, typically packing a camera so that any kind of camera supplies, extra batteries, I'll have like a little mesh ditty sack or something that I'd kind of throw that into, uh, gloves, beanie. If, if I'm, if cold weather, I, I like to throw those in there. One thing I try to tell people too, and, and there's a very specific reason we don't make a lid big um is you don't you just don't want big items or to overstuff a lid you don't want this top heavy kind of weight at the top of the pack um you know you just we're we don't do a giant lid for that very specific reason just like we don't do uh, a large hip belt pouch you know the putting more weight on the side of your belt just decreases the performance of the belt and so try to keep that as minimal as possible you know if you're uh, obviously, um, a lot of guys like to have a lot. I see some guys that have a lot of stuff strapped to their hip belt pouch or their hip belt with between pistols and, and pouches full of stuff and a GPS pouch. And while it's nice to have quick, quick access to that, I just, it's at least important to understand that you are decreasing, um, the performance of the belt in in some way, just by pulling down on that webbing and creating extra pressure. So, um, yeah, so the, again, going back to the lid, there's not much in there. It's just like f- anything kind of small that you could think of that I would want during the day, and or if I've, you know, I had gloves on in the morning, I'm gonna take those off and throw them in there, um, unless it's like a, I would throw them in the main bag if it, say it was cold, and then the rest of the day was gonna be warm and sunny. But if I, if it's gonna be something I'm taking on and off all day long as as the weather changes, uh, or my movement changes, act, you know, if I'm hiking up a hill, I'll take them off. I'm going to sit down glass and put them back on. Um, and that's kind of it, man. I don't, I'm trying to, I don't know if I'm drawing a blank, but there's not much. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it's mainly that, um, typically the day's food in reach phone. If again, as you said, if I'm not in my pocket or super handy, um, sometimes I keep my water filtration stuff up there. Sometimes I drop that in one of the lower side stretch pockets, sometimes in a rear stretch pocket, but sometimes I'll run that in a lid as well. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Basically what you mentioned, gloves, beanie. Yeah, man, I don't know. I feel like I'm drawing a blank too, but that's pretty much it. Like if you think about it, a lot of times I'm taking a break, set the pack down, open the lid, have a snack, maybe check my in reach pack back up and go i mean that that's pretty that simple for me for the most part um so yeah it's it's pretty pretty much it so again maybe i i mean i just mentioned water filter sometimes that's lid sometimes i like the lower side stretch pocket for that like filter on one side with my dirty bag wrapped around my sawyer basically and then the other side i'll typically have a water bottle and the other lower side stretch pocket, typically just a, like a smart water water bottle um, that I use that for flavored drinks or powders or that type of thing. Um, what do you, do you do anything different? I know, I think I've seen you do your headlamp in a lower side stretch pocket a lot. Is that right? Yeah. Headlamps always in the lower right side stretch pocket. 
and then depending on the and then my basically i've got headlamp toilet paper and water filter and those three things are in those side pockets usually headlamps on the right water filter and tp are in the left i always put my tp just in a ziploc bag uh, put the water filter down there specifically because those you know all of them are going to have retained some water after you're done filtering and they're going to kind of leak and drip out so i that way it's it's you know kind of separate from all my gear as well as just super easy to get to especially with the sawyers like we could be in the middle of a hunt chasing an elk and if we come across a little water source i'll reach down grab that thing and, and fill it up real quick fill up the dirty bag and then then i throw that dirty bag of water inside like the front stretch pocket or inside the side pockets and then you know you're off and running then you can just mess with filtering the rest of it later yeah how does that change for you, say, on a mule deer hunt, if you're running more optics, um, tripod and spotter? Does Do you start to use the stretch pockets there and then? doesn't change much. Um, so the spine scope's going to be inside the side pocket, and I usually keep a tripod external uh, where the legs go down in the side stretch. And that's where I may, uh, I may stack all three pouch, TP, and, and filter on one side, and then the other side is the um is the tripod usually i think i'd do the i'd probably move, sounds funny i'd probably move the tp over to where the headlamp is and and then i'd have the tripod legs and the water filter in the same pocket got it um, yeah. tp yeah. goes in my lid that's another thing i i didn't mention you know food in food yeah. out just keep it all together <laughs> i like it <laughs> um what one thing i can't stress enough is in the interest of efficiency and everything just find a system that works for you and play around with it but once you find it just stick with it always take that extra you know two seconds to put something back in the same place that you pulled it out of just depending on the situation right um i think it's it makes a huge difference if you know that your headlamp goes in the same pocket every single time i've you know i can't tell you how many times i've been with friends and out hunting and then they're you know, they end up having a yard sale their entire pack because when they sat down last time, they just took their, you know, maybe their headlamp was in their pocket because they just took it off their head at some point and they went to just threw it in the pack. And then later that evening, they have no idea where they put it. And inevitably, it's going to be in the last pocket you look, right? Um, so just always have a really good system and stick to it. And I think it makes, just makes the experience more enjoyable when you, when you know where everything is and it's quick to get to and you know, we just, uh, I think we say it all the time. I want you to forget about the pack or forget about your gear and just hunt and having that kind of organization makes a big difference. Yeah. We're, uh, we're getting ready to record another episode on being efficient and making most of your hunting time and you're, you're, you're getting in the spoilers, Steve, <laughs> save it. Shut it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Typically if you're out, you know, like say in a group, um, and Steve's around, he's like standing around waiting for everybody else. That's pretty much how that goes. <laughs> He's, you're yeah, dialed. ready to go <laughs> <laughs> but i think it, it just it's just years of having a system in place and yeah being um you like know, it's like um organized uh, i say like organized chaos because there's i've got friends who are like way more organized than i am in the sense that everything's like when they're loading it into the pack, everything's folded perfectly and nice and neat. And, you know, me, I'm just like, I'm throwing all my crap in as fast as I can, but it's all going in the same spot every single time. So yeah. I know where everything is and it works, you know, it's, it's a good system and, and it's, 
it's efficient and you're loaded up and we're off hunting in the morning. So, right. but yeah, it's definitely, definitely, um, been in that situation plenty of times. I'm just completely loaded up sitting there waiting for everybody and their tent is still standing up, you know? So, right. um, it's like, we're, we're out here to hunt. Let's, let's, uh, get this show on the road. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, let's see, it, just thinking of our packs, and obviously we're trying to keep this pretty universal because it's about how you pack a pack, not just how you pack our packs. But one thing we just briefly touched on, at least with our design, is those full-length side pockets. Um, you mentioned, you know, your spotter might be there. Obviously, they're good places for tent poles, potentially trekking poles, sometimes a rifle. Anything to know about that or tips on what to use those for or what not to use those for? Uh, the side pockets. Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty multi-purpose. They're oversized and run the full length for a reason. Just so you can fit a lot of different stuff in there. Um, yeah, tent poles are a great one. Trekking poles are a really good one, depending on, you know, I like to put them in there sometimes just cause they're, then they're protected and they can't snag on anything. Um, so if you're hunting, say if I'm elk hunting really brushy country, and I just, you know, the, the only reason they're in my pack is for when we kill something and we're packing it out. And I just want them kind of out of the way. It's dropping them in a side pocket's a great place for that. I usually put my tent stakes down in, um, in a side pocket down the very bottom. They're over, you know, they've got a loop sewn inside the top for hanging a water bladder in there. You can absolutely dry, drop a rifle all the way down in there if you want to have it nice and protected. Um, spine scope tripod. Yeah, I can't. Can't think of anything else. I do see people load gear in those, and that always drives me nuts. Um, they're, you know, they're. I'll see guys slamming jackets and tents and all sorts of crap down in the side pockets. And to me, they're that's not what they're for. They're for spine scope and tripod, and because um, you start filling those things up, then the pack starts getting pretty wide. I'd rather you put that in the main bag and have the bag get a little bit taller. Um, you know, I think it's, it's probably not a huge performance deal one way or the other. It's just like, you know, I'd rather have the pack be tall than wide. It's way more often that you're going between stuff versus under things. So, um, let's make it narrow and tall versus, you know, short and fat. Yeah. Good. Geeky point on trekking poles. If you're not running them in a full length side pocket, something I've done a lot, I've seen you do a lot. I've seen a lot of people do a lot is put them in a lower side stretch pocket and then use the side compression straps to hold them further up and keep them secure. Um, I'm just curious where you land on this. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but I think I've seen you put tip down a lot, carbide down. Yeah. And yeah. I used to never do that just because I was always so nervous about the stretch material and how that would hold up to that. And so I would do handle down, which takes up a lot more space and they're harder to get in and out and you have less space to use them. But then I started doing tip down. I'm like, well, Steve did it. Certainly it's okay to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> have you seen issues with yeah, that? Because I, I, I started doing it and never had issues. And I, I think I've seen you do it and started doing it, but forgot to ask you, like, hey, is it cool to do that? Yeah, no, I do it all the time. I have never had an issue. Um, I think it's being aware of, you know, you do have a fairly sharp metal tip there and stretchy fabric. That stuff is incredibly tough. Um, so I wouldn't say... If the only way you could get it, if the pack was so full, the only way you could get it in there would be that the there was a lot, like you're really stretching the fabric and there was a lot of tension on it. I would uh, maybe be a little leery and more so, 
like nothing's going to happen while you're wearing it, right? Because um, the compression strap's going to be sucked it up to the pack. It's not going to be moving around or really even putting much pressure downwards. So um, I'd be more leery, like once you threw it in your truck and if it was, you know, riding down on that side, uh, bouncing around the back of your truck for an hour or two. That's maybe where you could see an issue, but actually in the field, like nothing's going to happen to it. So, um, but yeah, I run it that way all the time. And like I said, it's just, it's quick and easy to get in and out and, um, yeah, definitely works. Um, what about putting gear outside the pack? I know this is a pet peeve for you. Um, this is something we see, we, we joke with Trent all the time from born and raised about, you know, Hey Trent, you need to work with us to do a gear list video, but it's not going to be what's in my pack. It's what's going to be on my pack. Um, I mean, elk hunting with him and being behind him, it looks like the guy from Mary Poppins with like all the instruments and everything hanging off of him. Um, it's awesome. But <laughs> yeah. what, what are the yeah. downsides, I guess? Like, why is it not good to just strap crap everywhere on the outside of the pack? Because with, with our packs and with plenty of others, I mean, you have plenty of compression straps to do it, but why not do it? Um, Just same reason as why you take that extra few minutes to load your pack properly. You don't want things... You want weight distribution dialed in, and you don't want things flopping around. It's same reason we don't have like pouches that hang from the from the outside of the pack too, right? You can only get those so secure. We don't want things. Um, we really want like this tall, narrow, streamlined pack going through the woods, going down the trail. Nothing's catching on crap. Nothing's flopping around. Making noise. Uh, so a great example would be Crocs, like hanging off the back of it, that are just dangling back there you know trent does that all the time and yeah it drives me absolutely nuts um my my rule of thumb is uh if you can't fit it inside the bag get a bigger bag uh like i want everything inside the bag um you know there's a few exceptions like all uh during the death hike i'll hang socks off the back compression strap right just so they're airing out and getting dry but that's about the only exception i could actually think of um or wet shoes, you know, uh, something random like that. Um, but yeah, we, we just want everything in the pack, nice and tight. I don't even, I hate when I see uh, people have pads or tents strapped down to the bottom of the pack. Uh, we don't want any weight hanging down below the bottom. I don't care even if it's a four pound, three, four pound tent. Um, get that thing inside the main bag and sucked up and tight and, and everything's just going to ride a lot nicer for you. Yeah. Yeah, it might not sound like that would make a difference, but it, it does. Like if you if you go back and forth, it, it definitely makes a difference in your experience wearing the pack. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Um, anything else? Anything else we missed that comes to mind and like kind of how to pack a pack and things to think through there? No, I think just um, keeping things balanced, weight distribution wise, making sure the majority of the weight is in the center center upper half of the pack um lighter stuff down the bottom you know just uh yeah i think those are kind of the general general rules for sure sweet so now the good news is steve we just killed an elk like just that quick wasn't that easy <laughs> that happens a lot um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so now we want to talk about animals down um now what are some tips for getting that load on the pack, securing the pack, adjusting the pack, and basically, okay, we talked gear, now let's talk meat and getting something out of there, and how did you do that correctly? So, um, like, let's say an animal is down, obviously you're going to somewhat yard sale gear, like we talked about for both of us, I think we 
like that kill kit's at the bottom of the hydration pouch, and so you're pulling that out, and you're gonna like get your meat set out. You're probably gonna have stuff scattered everywhere. So when you go back to both load meat and then well as reload gear into your pack to load with meat, like where do you start? Do you get gear back and situated first and try and get that main bag dialed so that you can now just easily load the frame between the bag and like what what's first for you, I guess, when it comes to everything's cut up, everything's bagged, everything's ready to go. Let's let's yeah. start getting... Yeah, I don't know if I've necessarily have as great of a system as I'd like. I would say that I conscientiously try to do everything I think I'm going to need to do before my hands get bloody. Um, so let's say I know that I'm going to need some food, right? Like let's get those out of the wrapper or, you know, out of the bag, out of the lid, get them kind of dialed in and ready to go. Maybe they're just laying on the ground, but you know, the, Anything that you think you could possibly need while you're cutting that animal up or even until it's loaded on the pack, let's go ahead and get that done now so that, you know, because there's a lot of times and and some people, you know, I see people very widely, wildly on this with, with, you know, nasty, bloody hands. Um, Some guys could care less. They just grab everything and whatever and their pack gets really bloody. I try to be somewhat neat about it. Um, you know, I'll have wipes out and so I'll, once I'm, you know, I'll get my pack fairly situated and then I'll work, cut the animal up, get it strapped on the pack. And then as soon as the meat's off the pack and I'm done touching it, then I'm going you know, to get my hands clean and then Moisturizer deal with it. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then go from there, you know, um, I think I like just, you know, especially if you don't have running water nearby where, you know, you're, it's going to be a while before you can really get cleaned up. So. Uh, and, and then other guys uh, um, just could care less. They just they don't even wipe their hands or just completely covered in crust and blood up to their elbows. And, you know, I think it's just like a personal preference deal. Yeah, I'm going to sit there and try to go through like, um, let, for instance, say that I've got rope in the bottom of the water bladder sleeve and I'm on by, by myself and I know I'm going to be deboning this thing. So I'm going to use that rope to hang a quarters in a tree while I debone it. Um, I'm going to get that rope out before I start, you know, I basically don't just grab a knife and start cutting away, like try to get lined out, think through the things you're going to need. Um, you know, I'll, I'll most likely get the pack situated. I'll, I'll probably take care of everything. I think so that literally it's, it gets to the point where I just throw the meat on, tighten up all the straps, throw the pack on and I'm hiking. I don't have anything to do once I'm done with that, but there's, you know, I definitely situations where maybe, uh, you know, it's really hot outside and the animals laying there in the sun and you just need to get the quarters stripped off as fast as possible and go lay them on a, a log in the shade. So I wouldn't say it's a general rule. There's going to be situations here where things will be different. Um, so, um, yeah, just get everything prepared, situated, laid out. I'm not one that, uh, a lot of guys will bring tarps or, uh, something like that to lay the meat on. I've never done that before. Um, I usually just hunt around for, you know, a nice pine bough or a rock or, a, you know, a, a laid down log that doesn't have much bark on it or something and just put the meat on top of that while I'm kind of prepping everything and getting the rest of the meat off the off the animal. So ideally, as you're pulling meat off or you have, let's say your game bags are full, like, as you mentioned, 
now your hands are bloody, you're not dealing with gear, now you're not putting back in what you took out to get to your kill kit, all that's dialed. So you begin to be at that position where you can get meat on the frame directly. Before you do that, and there's kind of two points here, one is, I guess we could talk about K3 frame extensions, but before we get to that, let's say, let's say it's a K2 pack or um, some other pack that doesn't have an adjustable frame height. I'm curious, do you... Did you adjust torso height automatically in any certain way when you know, okay, I'm going from 25 pounds to let's call it 90 pounds. Would you personally adjust your torso height before you even get started? Um, I have done it. I de- definitely not super – basically if I knew it was going to be um, – the one time I can specifically remember I think it was two or three years ago – we killed an elk and we were back there. We were nine miles or something. Um, and it was just kind of like, okay, we're, we're in this for the long haul. Let's, uh, you know, I just kind of prepped everything I could cause it was going to be a long walk. Um, usually like I said, I'm more in this kind of, I don't know why, but it's like, once you kill something, I'm more in this rush mode. Like just let's get everything, you know, let's take care of everything, but let's just get this, like it's kind of like you know you know you got the hard works coming let's rip this band-aid off and just get this process started um so usually I, there's granted it only takes a few seconds but it's one of those things i haven't done consistently you will get um you know you're, you're going to get a little bit better performance lengthening that torso and, and the reason is it doesn't matter what pack it is you go from 30 to 100 pounds the pack's gonna slide down and ride a little bit lower on your body um, and essentially you've just kind of lengthened your torso cause the pack's going to sit lower. It might be a half an inch. It might be two inches. It just depends on your body. Who knows? Um, but you've basically just put more pressure on your shoulders cause you, the, you know, the bottom of the pack is sitting lower on your body. So raising that harness is, uh, not a bad idea at all. Worth mentioning now, some guys would be in position where they would benefit from adjusting the actual frame height. So with the new K3 frame that we have, you can flip that extension. So if a guy's running our short frame, which is at 24 inches, you could go to 25 and a half. Or a tall frame, which is base 25 inches, you could go to 26 and a half. Um, that would be the time to consider doing that. So if you're the guy who's, you know, 5'9", five, 5'8", five, could be lower... But like you're hunting with that shorter frame specifically because you have a lighter load, a bit more mobility. This is when you might want to take that out and flip it. So I guess just talk through that a little bit, Steve. I mean, it was something we very specifically did with the new pack. But just, again, kind of highlight like here's the benefit of doing that. Um, Here's when to do it. Maybe not how because it's A, hard to describe on a podcast, but B, actually very easy. But just walk through that a little bit with the frame extension piece. Yeah, I mean, when we're, when going through the design of the K3, um, you know, historically it was we chose 25 inches. It was a really good balance of height between, you know, you don't want a frame that's too tall that you're constantly, you know, your head's getting hit, like hitting on it every time you're trying to glass uphill. Say you're on your hands and knees trying to crawl through or stalk something. You know, that taller frame is just annoying. Um, and the opposite of that though is just the heavier the weight gets in general, the taller you want the frame. You want, you want it, the, the stability up higher, the, the load lifters come up from a steeper angle. Um, I'm still of the camp that, 
the load lifters are important. They're not an end all be all thing, but it definitely, there is a, you know, a nice subtle change when you extend that up taller, um, and, and how it's going to perform with heavy loads. It's not a black and white night and day change. It's like a, you know, we shifted 10%, 15% of the weight off your shoulders and it just feels nicer. So, um, but that's one thing with, you know, we were able to tackle with the new design was figuring out a way that we could have the best of both worlds, hunt with it short, kill something, flip it around, make it taller. Um, and now you've got that, you know, better performing frame for the, for the heavy pack out. Um, so yeah, I think, um, in general, that's, you know, there's going to be guys who are, uh, you're six foot four, you're just going to run it tall all the time. Right. But there's a vast majority of us that are going to fall between, five eight and six foot where depending on what frame height you go there's going to be a benefit to run it short hunt with it short and then flip it around and make it taller you know um and i think it's just going to be a personal preference we're trying to guide guys the best we can even me i'm you know i'm pretty typical five foot eleven uh 32 inch inseam kind of got a normal maybe a slightly short torso I'm actually probably going to run the 24 to 25 and a half inch frame. Um, I'm, but then I, I get the benefit. If I had to just pick one, I'd run the 25 to 26 and a half. But because um, there's going to be hunts where, say, it's um, you're going to you've got 50, 60 pounds going in super heavy late rifle hunt or something like that. You know, cold weather's coming up. You're packing a TP in a stove or whatever. Um then you might just you'd probably pack in with that thing at set at the taller height anyways. So um yeah, I think it's um it's a really awesome feature that I'm glad we were able to to design into the new stuff and and uh the guys there's gonna be some guys that just run one height that never adjust it. And there's gonna be a lot of guys that that um you know bounce back and forth with it, run it short for their day hunts when they're lightweight, uh flip it around and they kill something, maybe they're backpacking and they run it taller um you know hiking in as well i think it's just uh the beauty of it is the adjustments there but it's not cumbersome or like complicated to where if you don't want to mess with it you don't mess with it you don't know it's there but it's built into it and you can play with it if you want before we get to actually loading meat on the frame first tackle why meat on the frame versus in the bag because there's still i mean there's still guys that love to drop a game bag right within the main pack bag um Mm -hmm. so obviously sometimes that's potentially not possible because your main bag's already full like say you're on a multi-day hunt five-day hunt five days worth of gear you get lucky kill day one you might not have room for meat there um but even if you did have some room what are what should you think through on loading meat in the load shelf on the frame versus in the bag itself um i mean that the biggest the advantage of um throwing the meat in between the bag and the frame, uh, keeping your, your gear clean and dry. That's a, uh, or blood free. That's a, that's a big one. That's an easy one. The speed at which you can do it. Uh, you don't have to take your gear out. Cause essentially if you're going to put meat in there, then you're going to empty out your entire pack. Uh, and then you're going to be very strategic and take your time on how you reload all of that. Right. You're going to, um, cause you're going to want to get that. Say you got a, it doesn't matter if it's a, a bone in elk iron quarter or a bone out bag of meat that's still, you know, you're going to have a 60, 70, 80 pound bag of meat. Um, it, you know, you're going to want to sit that 
probably, let's just say, eight inches up from the very bottom of the pack and strapped as close to your back as possible. You want that heavy mass meets, you know, that chunk of weight as close to your body and, and high and tight to you. So, you know, center of your back. Uh, and then you're going to fill up the, you know, fill up everything around it with, um, with all your other gear, you know, that's in there. And then the, the downside is, um, if it's going in the bag, you're just going to have to have a lot bigger bag to accommodate that, or you're just making multiple trips out. So that pick your poison, I guess, you know, what do you want to do? Um, then, then throwing in between the bag and the frame, uh, you get the benefit of, you just pick the bag size for exactly what you need it for. Say for me, that's a 3,200 on a four day hunt. Uh, my bags, you know, moderately full, then I can still one trip everything out of there. Cause I'm just going to throw the meat in between the bag and the frame and, and be on my way. Um, as far as loading, yeah, this is when things get really, really critical or weight distribution. Like we're talking about, it matters with 20 pounds. It really freaking matters with 120 pounds. This is the place to take your time, slow down. Make sure everything's done really well. Everything's balanced. Everything's centered, um, and and really, yeah, just be very very diligent about how you're getting the pack loaded on there. Don't have, um, make sure that there's not meat that's going to slip and slide and you know come loose on you. Um, just take your time here. Get it loaded properly because it's going to make. I mean, you can truly say that like. 100 pounds can feel like 80 or you could make 100 pounds feel like 120 and that's a big difference um in a heartbeat just by how you've loaded things and again just i can't stress enough like high and tight and kind of you know just imagine getting skinny and tall with it um versus having things sagging down i like absolutely do not want anything hanging below your waist belt um, the second it gets down there, gravity starts really, it just starts pulling on you. It's pulling back on your shoulders. Um, just not a good idea. Even, you know, loading that head, get that head up, you know, put the skull right there at the top of the frame, right behind your head. We want that up on top, like distributing weight down into the frame. You know, I'll see pictures of guys where they strap it on the front of the bag and it's hanging way down there. Um, you know, the horns are about hitting their freaking calves on a nice bowl or something. Um, that's the last place I want you to put a head just as close to your back and as kind of high and centered as possible and just follow that rule with everything. And, and then, you know, you're going to be playing a little bit of kind of Jenga here, right? Like you've got, say you've got, you know, so I killed a mule deer and I've got a head here and I've got three I've probably boned it out I've got three bags of boned out meat like try to put the puzzle pieces together and figure out how you're best going to be able to you know like all right this is the biggest bag of meat I'm going to want to put this here the smaller one I can kind of put over here the other one I'll set right on top of this one and then I'll put the bag on and then I'll put the head on top of all of that um, so just you know, kind of work through that process before you start strapping things to the pack and you may need to adjust it you know I, I do that all the time I throw it on and go, you know what? I think it'd fit better this way. Um, so pull everything off, restrap it back on. And, um, you'll, you'll, you said, you'll figure out things that work better for you. I remember specifically this year on the, on the death hike. Um, it's just a great example. We all just, it's like hot and you just kind of get in a hurry and you 
want to, you have this mentality that like, all right, let's just get going. Um, Tyler Boschma had, you know, they did the hundred pounds of rocks on the way back out. I guess pack was a hundred or well, maybe it's right at a hundred or 105. Um, he had just kind of thrown some stuff in there. Um, and the meat and the rocks were kind of hanging low and off to the side. And then he had done, um, I think he'd done like one big rock and we actually stopped about two miles into it and I kind of readjusted everything. And it was a perfect example of took a hundred pounds and made it feel like 80 where before he was kind of like, man, this seems, this is feeling freaking heavy, you know? Um, and so just, yeah, trial and error and just being very, very diligent about how you're loading that meat onto the pack and how the rest of your gear strapped on and, um, you're going to get much better performance. Yeah. All that being said to the degree, I kind of hinted at this earlier with adjusting the torso. I'm got to the kind of the point where, you know, if it's like a mile or two big freaking deal, just strap the crap on and go, um, you know, like I'll obviously do everything right, but I'm not going to take a bunch of extra time. If I'm 10 miles in there, I'm going to be very, very diligent on how I'm loading that sucker up. So there is like kind of a graduated scale for me on the intensity in which I'm paying attention to loading that pack up. Um, and, you know, the farther it is, the more I'm going to care how it's loaded. Cause you can kind of, I'd say anything three miles and under, add ah, strap it on and, and freaking go, you know, you start getting five, six, seven, ten miles. Um, that's when, things are really going to start making a difference for you. Got it. There are many, many factors that go into discussion, like say particularly on an elk of bone in versus boned out. I mean, you could talk about the length of the pack out, the conditions, the heat, the time you have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, packing extra weight of the bone, yada, yada, yada. But like say it's conditions or ideal. Let's say it's, you know, you just had to pack a hundred extra pounds either way of boned out meat versus bone quarters. Like you just had to pack a hundred pounds, which would you choose and why just from a pure, like load carrying perspective? Oh, bone out for sure. Absolutely. No question. Just cause you're going to be able to situate it better and yeah, distribute it better. Yeah. And yeah. the, about the only true downside to me of the system of, of, uh, how our, you know, our pack and others work where you're putting the meat in between the bag and the frame is throwing boned out meat in a stretchy game bag. And, and, you know, for years, stretchy kind of your Alaskan style game bag was the norm. Um, and that's a nightmare. Like, do not do that. <laughs> like, uh, you want tall, skinny game bags and preferably, um, for packing, I just want one. I want like one bag that I can throw, you know, on a mule deer, I'm going to throw like 80% of the meat in. I wanted the exact width of the frame, uh, basically the exact height of the frame, um, and just throw all your boned out meat in there. And, um, and yeah, you just like pets would be like packing an 80 pound tube of sand. That's going to pack really, really nicely. Um, you know, there's going to be perfect weight distribution. It's going to be even balanced. Uh, it's going to perform beautifully. Um, for me, uh, along these same lines that I was just talking about of being like really paying attention to load distance at this point, you know, there's a lot of factors that will come into play here. Um, but distance is really probably the main one on if I'm going to bone out or not. Uh, for 
quite a few years, I'd boned out absolutely everything. Just we got pretty proficient at it, just did it. Um, and then one year, I, but I always took all my meat to a butcher one year, I don't know, four or five years ago, something like that, that I couldn't get meat to a butcher, decided to butcher it myself. And I was pretty, once I kind of got boned out meat out, you know, there had been so much more meat surface exposed to the air where it, it kind of got that crust on it and got brown that, um, that I was just cutting away so much meat, cutting away, cutting away, cutting away to, to get my steaks packaged up or to get meat ready for the grinder. Um, and I remember looking at the meat pile at the end of that of stuff that was going in the trash and I was just like, holy crap, like I just wasted a lot of meat here because I had boned this animal out where if it was you know, still on the bone. Um, then you're just kind of taking the shell of, you know, you're just going to have that outer crust and then everything underneath that's still going to be good to go. So from a purely, I want to, you know, I'm a meat hunter. I want to get every drop of meat I possibly can off of that mountain that's where I've got to the point where I leave the bone in more often than not now. Um, so with the only exception of say, I, you know, you did kill an elk or you're on a solo hunt and you're, you're five plus miles back there. Um, you're trying to one trip it out. I mean, there's definitely scenarios where boning out the meat makes a lot of sense. Um, also I don't bone in, I believe the meat is going to cool down more efficiently. Um, at least if you're going to kind of hang it in a tree, say you're, you know, you've killed it in the afternoon, you're not going to pack it out till the next day. Um, leaving that bone on um, or bone in and get it hung up in a tree, it's going to cool down really nicely. Maybe, maybe the very center of the, you know, the elk hind quarter is going to take a little bit of time, um, but it's going to cool nicely versus once you've boned everything out and you throw it all in this get big game bag, then you've just created a big mass chunk of meat with, you know, meat all the way in the center of that, that may take a long time to cool. Now you could, there's the flip side of that is if it is really hot, I think boning out could be a great idea to where you've got all these small pieces that you can lay out on a, a log or something like that. Then it's going to cool down very fast. Um, so there's a, I think a, a pro and con argument to be made there, but uh, the, another situation for sure would be if, you know you're going to hang meat and, and go hunt for a few days. I think bone-in is probably the better decision. Securing meat to the frame, we talked about that. We talked about distribution, getting it sorted. Just curious when and how you make decisions um, on compression straps. Like on, Again, speaking just from our experience with our system, you see guys who run the two main compression straps horizontally across to each other. You see guys who go top to bottom, left to right, and like make that X pattern like when should you do one or the other pros and cons thinking through just using those frame compression straps to begin to secure that load before you're attaching a bag or a crib or something over that? I'm probably always shooting to make that X pattern out of the two. We ship them straight horizontal. Um, just going across. I try uh, going back to weight distribution. I like the X pattern because it's creating um, basically, you know, the two straps are coming up and, and going to help limit, any meat sliding down because um, versus just two horizontal ones, you know, it could still meat could kind of wiggle its way down through there. The, the bag is going to help keep that in place and only allow it to go so far. But um, I always shoot for crisscrossing them, but there's definitely um, it's nice to have options there to where you can, you can run them the two different ways because there's certain meat scenarios or, you know, it does get tricky when you've got, three or four bags that you're trying to get all strapped on there and 
you're trying to you know place stuff where a compression strap can hold it tightly so it varies per hunt i'd say initially i'm shooting to to cross them and then if i can't then i'll just run them across and go from there that's one one where area where our crib really comes in handy that it just makes that process really easy um i just don't always pack them uh, it's always in my truck and i don't pack it just purely because i it weighs five ounces and i'm always trying to save weight but for the guy who doesn't care about that which is probably more guys than not uh, that crib is pretty stinking handy yeah yeah i mean that's i mean we get a lot of questions on that and it's it's difficult to say the crib is a must because it's not um but yeah. it can certainly make things a heck of a lot easier yeah i'd say if you're going on your first elk hunt i'd pack it just because it's gonna kind of um, you know dumb down that process of loading up the pack and make it easier for you um but at the same time um yeah it's it's, it's not 100 percent needed like i said i the majority of the stuff we do we seem to one trip out of there and and um and i usually don't have a crib with me or i can't think of a time when i have had it it's just always in the truck so. yeah all right, so we got it loaded up. We've talked about distribution and securing and where gear goes and meat goes and all that. So now we're we're going to pack out. We're going to pack out heavy. Just walk us through some of the adjustments, like tweaks you can make during a pack out in terms of actual load distribution between shoulder harness, load lifters, et cetera. You know, if, if we just give a scenario around numbers, say we're packing 100 pounds for five miles. Like, what are we going to... What do we need to think through at mile two, three, if we're kind of feeling something or can make adjustments through the pack out, if you will? Yeah, one thing I and I think this has changed for me too is just take your um, 100 pounds is 100 pounds. That's a lot of weight on your hips, even perfectly distributed. Um, it's a lot of weight on your hips. And there's a huge advantage to going two miles and then stopping. Take the pack off. We did this on the death hike coming out uh, that 18 miles, like basically would hike three to four stop rest, takes pack off, get the pressure off, put it back on, do not knock out another chunk. And I've, you know, again, with that mentality of let's rip this bandaid off, let's get this thing out as fast as we can. Um, and I, let me preface this by saying it depends on what I'm trying to do the next day, right? Like, am I trying to, get home to my family and get back uh, and who cares if I'm really sore, uh, you know, my legs and stuff like that. Or are we trying to, you know, do we got two more elk tags to fill and we're trying to, you know, hunt the next day. That's going to be two probably very different pack outs. Uh, the, you know, if you're trying to hunt the next day, taking your time, getting the pack out, you know, doing, I would just like set your watch and hike a mile rest for even five minutes, strap the pack on, hike a mile rest. That's going to make a huge difference in how you feel the next day. Um, I've I've kind of been playing with that the last you know few years, and I, I really think you could um, you know make a significant impact there. So um, that's one thing to pay attention to. Uh, the other would just be you know you go ahead and you know I said three miles. I'm just going to strap it on and go um, get to. You know, if I got five miles at mile three, I might readjust. I might take a little bit of pressure off my hips and move some onto my shoulders just by simply loosening the belt to touch and then tightening down the shoulder harness a little bit. And you might do that for half a mile. Uh, you don't want to do too much there, but just get you're just going to want to move that pressure around just a little bit. Um, again, it's it's just 
freaking heavy and it's hard on your body. And, um, so moving that pressure around is good. We've already, um, let's assume we already increased the torso a touch that could help. If you didn't increase the torso, uh, about a mile into your hike or what, you know, once the, you feel like everything's settled down nice and good, there's actually a huge advantage to just barely loosening up your shoulder harness and then tightening up your load lifters. Essentially, you're lengthening the torso there um, by loosening the harness, and it's going to kind of allow the the torso to to slack over the or, you know pull down on the backside of your back, and then and then you're just going to snug up that slack that you just created with the the load lifters, um, and that can feel really good. I've done that um, quite often um, in the past. Just if you're feeling like you got a little bit more weight on your shoulders than you like, that's a really good tip. And, I, and I'm talking maybe loosening up the harness webbing, like let it slide through the, the ladder lock half of an inch on each side. It's not like two inches or something like that. Just, just a tiny little bit, take pressure off and then, and then snug up the load after that's a great tip too. Um, man talked a bunch about this. I feel like we've, uh, yeah, covered some good info just to wrap up anything else. You just, anything come to mind for things? You trekking s- poles, trekking, trekking poles, poles, trekking yeah. poles, trekking poles. Times a thousand. <laughs> Yeah. Times 8,000. If you are not packing trekking poles, buy them. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're worth packing around for a week just in case you might need them on a pack out. Like even if you're not running a trekking pole supported tent or you never use them while hunting, like that's something I will just flat out carry and may never need it, but it's when you need it, they're a lifesaver. Yeah. I, I, yeah, can't you know? Can't believe we didn't used to use them. Used to think guys that had them were old guys that are nerdy and didn't know what they're doing or maybe whatever. Old guys now, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, just the, I think even safety wise, I can't tell you how many times you know um, you're going down a steep mountain face and you would have slipped and fall, uh, and you know landed on your butt and been all bruised up the next day. The trekking pole is going to prevent that wear and tear on your knees is going to prevent i mean it it i would say it's a legitimate your legs feel bare minimum 25 percent better by the time you get back to the truck bare minimum and it might be even more than that um they're just not going to be as fatigued because you've got extra support and they're not taking the taking the brunt of everything yeah especially if you have any significant amounts of downhill being able to get those in front of you and kind of stabilize and not be essentially you're not stepping down with your full weight because you have some of your weight distributed to the trekking poles, man. Like that's for me, that's what makes a difference there is especially with downhill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other common mistakes that come to mind? Anything like even you mentioned from the death hike, I was actually going to ask about that just from, it's an interesting experience when you don't have just like you and your hunting buddy or a couple buddies packing heavy, but we had a ton of guys packing out 80 plus pounds. Um, Anything else you saw there just of like, yeah, it would have been better to to do this or think about that. I think in the end, a lot of that just comes down to load distribution, which I feel like we've covered pretty well. Yeah, load distribution. Well, I'd say one thing that's pretty specific to our packs is make sure, and this is the case uh, all the time, but make sure that the hip belt webbing is loose. So the two-inch webbing that's going to hold your hip belt pouch or your pistol or whatever, make sure that you can slide your finger between that. We want the the weight distributed between the foam um, distributed and um, and not pulled and, and creating a, t- a tension point on that webbing. So we have the 
it's kind of got a Velcro flap if you're familiar with the pack and, and it's allowed that you can just pop that off and slide stuff on and off. The downside to that system is people get that overly tight and then it's going to, the, the belt's not going to feel as comfortable as it should. Um, so it's really critical to make sure that that is loose on both sides. Something I even let slip sometimes I'll, you know, be a couple miles into it and feel like I, I've got a little pressure on my hips that doesn't seem normal. Then I look down and go, oh, I forgot to, you know, make sure that strap was loose or whatever. So that's something important to pay attention to. Yeah, load distribution, take your time um, getting that thing set up because it's going to make pay dividends um, on those longer pack outs. Um, one thing I think people don't do very often, but it's an exceptionally smart idea and uh, is shuttling meat. So instead of taking the first load all the way out to the truck, actually, uh, if you think a perfect example would be um, you've got a climb a thousand foot up to the top of the ridge and then drop a thousand foot down to your truck. And then you're going to come back and do that. Like you're going to be way better off to get that meat to the top of the ridge, drop it off, drop back down, get the rest of the meat, get it back up to the top. And then everything from there is downhill. So you're going to, you're going to be, you know, have the most strength and the best endurance there at the beginning of your pack out. So let's do, get all the hard work, hard work done first. And then from the rest would just be heavy pack down to the truck. And then you're hiking back up the hill to get the rest of the meat with an empty pack. So, um, that's something that, uh, we've done many times before. And, um, I think is something to definitely consider depending on your situation. Yeah. Maybe you just think through the simple logistics of, would you rather pack five miles, super heavy, and then five miles super light, or pack two and a half miles heavy, two and a half miles light, two and a half heavy, two and a half light, like that type of thing. If you just think yeah. about that from that perspective, it's like, well, yeah, it's easier to do shorter, more difficult efforts followed by some level of shorter rest than it is to kill yourself and then have some level of rest, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely smart if, if time and conditions and, and everything else allow. Yep. So, all right, man. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this one and hopefully you get a chance to put all this to practice and can pack out some heavy loads this fall. So can't wait. Well, again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave us that review or send us your feedback. Podcast at xmountgear.com is how you can email us directly. You can leave a review wherever you're listening to the show. Also, make sure to go to xomountaingear.com forward slash podcast and enter that giveaway for that custom bench made bug out knife. We'll catch you next week.